Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything you do in our lives and around us. We see your hand and your ways at work in every circumstance we find ourselves in. No matter how dire, how dark things may seem to be, we know that you are working. Whether in our joys or in our trials and our difficulties, we know and we trust that you are there, Lord. You're holding our hand and you will guide us through. Give us eyes of faith, Father, to see you and to trust you at every step of our journey. And visit with us now, Father. Give us listening ears and listening hearts as we study your word. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A hospital worker was recently quoted as saying, For my whole life, I've seen heroes get up in the morning and put on armor to go fight an enemy they can see so that others will be safe. Firefighters put on their gear and masks to fight a fire. Police officers put on their bulletproof vests and badges to fight criminals. The armed forces put on their gear and, and get their weapons to fight wars. They all put on these heavy forms of protection and go out and fight enemies that they see so they can keep us safe. But lately, working here at the hospital, I've seen something so remarkably different that it has moved me to no end. Doctors, nurses, and, and all of the hospital staff put on these paper gowns and paper masks and head into battle, a battle with something they cannot even see. They have one thin line of protection between them and the enemy, and yet they never waver, they never quit, so that the rest of us can be safe. God bless them. You know, right now we're, we're in a place in life where we all have the same enemy, one that's invisible. This enemy doesn't care about age, race, religion, ethnicity, or class. Some of us wake up in the morning wondering where the enemy will strike next. We've been given instructions and suggestions and mandates and told we have to shelter in place to protect ourselves and protect others. We've been told we have to change our mindset in order to acknowledge that which is unseen. Recognizing the unseen. It's not a new concept for believers, is it? We very much recognize that there are powers all around us that we can't see, but we see their effects. The Bible tells us there's a whole world, an unseen world around us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Such a strange statement, isn't it? How do we look at the things which are not seen? What can we glean and recognize from the unseen around us? Well, turn with me to our text this morning. It's, it's an incredible story that hopefully will give us some insight and clarity about the unseen around us. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. Israel is in the middle of war with the nation of Aram, but God is on their side in a mighty and miraculous way. So let's read verses 8 to 23. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place. 
because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Well, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Well, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who have captured, you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them, so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing miracle. And central to this story is the ability to see and focus upon the unseen. Today we're going to look at three things that are unseen but ever present in our lives. Three things that are that are crucial for us to recognize and keep our focus upon during difficulties, trials, and crises. So our first unseen, God's presence. When Elisha's servant looked outside, what did he see? All he saw was the enemy. Enemy soldiers were surrounding them on all sides, and, and they were closing in. And immediately, panic set in and fear began rising. When our focus is on the enemy around us, what happens? Fear rises. Panic sets in. And calculations are made. Ex extrapolations are made. Right? We begin to think and overthink and we begin to project what's surely going to happen. But what did Elisha do? Elisha prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant. And when he did, the servant's focus changed. And what did he see instead? Well, he suddenly realized that the God 
of angel armies was on their side. God, the almighty creator of the cosmos, was with them. That's what he saw instead. We need some instead these days, don't we? I find that the more I focus on the bad news around me, and there's so much of it, the more I start to think about the the, the what if this and, and what if that, and the more I look at these worst-case projections and charts you see, I start to panic. I start to fear. But when I shift my view to my Creator instead, a peace and a calm sets in. We need to shift our focus to view God's presence, not just in the blessings, but in the midst of man's turmoil, in the midst of trials and in the midst of the chaos of this world. The Bible tells us that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. David recognized this when he wrote in Psalm 139, 7 and 8, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Jesus promised in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, I am with you always even to the end of the age. God is always with us. We can't escape his presence. But the problem is that like Elisha's servant, we have some trouble seeing God, don't we? Why did he have trouble seeing God's presence? Well, because he was too distracted by the impending enemy and the impending doom. It's hard to see God when we're so filled with fear at the enemy around us. The first thing we have to do is tune out the distractions, tune out the noise in order to hear his still, small voice. See him despite the looming circumstance, the looming trial, the looming enemy. You know, it takes faith to set aside fear and to focus on God, doesn't it? Especially when the source of that fear is so noisy, so loud, so ominous. Eyes of faith can look past all of that. But it takes a shift in perspective, and it takes a shift in expectation. That's why we don't always recognize his presence. We're looking with the wrong eyes. So often we have expectations. We look with eyes of expectation of how and when God will show up in our situation. And that's rarely how he turns out to reveal himself. You've heard the illustration before. We expect to see him as the God of thunder and he shows up as the God of the whisper. We expect to find him in the great miracle, but he's there in our everyday mundane. It takes faith to see him in every circumstance of our lives. And that's what he wants. He wants us to see him and recognize him through eyes of faith. He is there. If we train ourselves to look for him. Augustine, one of the great Christian theologians who who ever lived, died not long after the fall of the Roman Empire in 410 AD. He was once challenged by a pagan who held up an idol to him and sarcastically said, Here is my God. Where is yours? To which Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because he doesn't exist, but because you have no eyes to see him. How do we do it? How do we learn to see God to recognize his presence? Our earnest prayer should be, Lord, give me eyes of faith to see you in the middle 
of what I'm going through. Start with prayer just like Elisha did. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Worshiping Him will also help us become more aware of God's presence. But most importantly, we see God through Jesus. The Bible says that Christ, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the lens through which we see God. As we read through the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we begin to see God more clearly. Often we know that God is there, but He's blurry and out of focus, obscured by our surroundings and our circumstances. But when we focus the lens of faith through prayer and worship and Jesus, we start seeing God more and more clearly. Come to Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in fellowship. Cleanse yourself from the grip of this world and the sinful trappings and the waste of this world. James 4.8 tells us, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we are near to Him, we see His presence throughout every step and at every turn in our journey. When we tune out the distractions of the chaos and the crises and the criticisms. And when we focus on God, when we let go of, of all the preconceived expectations of where and how we expect God to show up, and when we draw near to Him in worship, fellowship, and dependence, well, what happens? We begin to see Him through our eyes of faith. And you know what happens? We realize He's everywhere. He is the unseen army defending us from any attack. He's the unseen provider waiting for us to reach out in our need. He is the unseen balm comforting us through every hurt and heartache. He's the unseen companion who walks with us through our loneliness. He is the unseen friend who meets our every need. God's presence is the most important unseen element he wants us to learn to see through eyes of faith. That's our first unseen. The first unseen element we need to recognize. Our second unseen element, God's protection. As soon as Elisha's servant saw through opened eyes of faith, he realized that God was in the moment. His presence was there. And immediately, what's the next thing he saw? God's protection. Psalm 34, 7 tells us, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That's exactly what Elisha's servant saw when he looked outside. God lifted the veil between the earthly realm and the spiritual realm and allowed him to see an army of angels riding fiery chariots encamped around the unwitting enemy army. Jesus also mentions this massive angel army. When Peter draws his sword to prevent the soldiers from arresting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus rebukes Peter, saying in Matthew 26:53, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Twelve legions equals 72,000. It's a lot of angels. Jesus, of course, didn't need that protection because he knew it was God's will to go to the cross. But very often we do need protecting. Especially in perilous times like this, we need to see God's angels surrounding us, protecting us and reminding us that God is mightier than any enemy we face. 
The problem is, as humans, we want to see God's protection as a magic force field that keeps us from all harm. Yes, God can prevent any evil or disaster, but we must remember that God works in ways that we don't always understand. Sometimes God's protection comes in the form of peace and strength in the middle of despair. Other times God's protection comes as an ending because he sees something more on the horizon that we cannot see. We want to see him as the one who spares our world and our nation and our community from a pandemic. But instead, he he shows himself as the one who sustains us through it. We want to see him as the one who blesses us with abundance and riches. And so often he shows himself as the one who meets our needs just in time. That's a great lesson for us today. God's protection doesn't necessarily mean God's prevention. He may not prevent the storm, the trial, the circumstance, the crisis, the pandemic, but he upholds us through it. He carries us through it. He walks with us through it. That's God's protection, friend. That's what we need to see and realize and understand. Did God spare Joseph from the pit or the prison? No. Did he spare Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire? No. Did he spare the fleeing Israelites from the Red Sea? No, but he made a way through. Did they all live to tell about it? Yes. Were they all made better by the trial? Yes. Was their faith made stronger? Oh, yes. That's God's protection. Often throughout the Old Testament, God is compared to a strong tower or a mighty fortress. When the Israelites took refuge within Solomon's fortress or the Tower of David, their enemies didn't just pack up and go home. They still had a battle to fight, but from within the fortress they had the advantage. Rather than being easy targets out in the open, they could fight from a position of strength from within the mighty walls. And additionally, they could climb the tower and look down on their enemies, giving them a better vantage point and perspective. God does the same for us. When we turn to God in times of trouble, our problems don't just go away, but we can face those problems from a position of strength, and we can see them from God's perspective. As a child of God, you can rest, knowing that no matter what hardship you face, God is your shelter, your strong tower, and your protector. Nadine Curry was 13 years old, Five foot two and weighed soaking wet, probably a hundred pounds. His attackers were teenagers, larger than Nadine, and they outnumbered him seven to one. For thirty minutes they hit, kicked, and beat him. He never stood a chance. Curry's mom had just recently moved the family to Philadelphia from Minnesota. She had lost her job as a hotel maid and she was looking for work. In 2000, she'd escaped war-torn Liberia, Nadine Curry, then, was the new kid in a rough neighborhood with a mom who was an unemployed immigrant, everything a wolf pack of bullies needed to justify an attack. Well, the hazing began weeks earlier. They picked on him. They called his mother names. They routinely pushed, shoved, and ambushed him. Then came the all-out assault on a January day. They dragged him through the snow. They stuffed him into a tree. They suspended him on a seven-foot wrought iron fence. Curry survived the attack, 
and would likely have faced a few more, except for the folly of one of the bullies. He filmed the pylon and posted it on YouTube. Well, a passerby saw the violence and chased away the, bull the bullies. Police saw it and, and they got involved. The troublemakers were found, they landed in jail, and the story reached the papers. A staffer at the nationwide morning show The View read the account and invited Curry to appear on the broadcast. He did. As the video of the assault played on the screen behind him, he tried to appear brave, but his lower lip quivered. Next time, maybe it, it could be somebody smaller than me, he said. Well, unbeknownst to him, the producer had invited some other Philadelphians to appear on, on the show as well. And as the YouTube video ended, the curtain opened, and three huge men walked out, members of the Philadelphia Eagles football team. Curry, a, a rabid fan, turned and smiled. One was all-pro receiver Deshaun Jackson. Jackson took a seat on the couch as close to the boy as possible and promised him, Look, any time you need us, I got two linemen right here. We will all show up. Curry's eyes widened, saucer-like, as Jackson signed a football jersey and handed it to him. Then in full view of every bully in America, he gave the boy his personal cell phone number. From that day forward, Curry has been only a call away from his personal bodyguards. Thugs think twice before they harass the kid who has an NFL football player's number on speed dial. Pretty good offer. Who wouldn't want that type of protection, huh? Well, friends, we have something far greater than a few NFL linemen. We have the God of angel armies in our corner. And as his children, not only is he present in our lives, but his protection sustains, defends, uplifts us through every circumstance we go through. That's worth cheering, isn't it? Amen. Recognize God's presence. Recognize God's protection. And our third and final unseen is God's providence. God's providence refers to God's plans and provision. You can't read this story in 2 Kings 6 without getting a strong and jaw-dropping sense of God's providence. As this sequence of unusual events unfolds, it becomes more and more obvious that it was all part of God's plan. It isn't by chance. And even though we may not see it or understand it, everything we're going through right now is part of God's plan. It's part of his design. Plans are funny things, aren't they? Many of us are master planners. We're great at making plans, envisioning the requirements, the steps, and the outcome, documenting these plans. Does that describe you too? Well, most of the time when we make plans, we aren't really the ones who control the outcomes, are we? Sure, we can do our best to try and make them happen, but so much of our world and our lives are dictated by things outside of our control. Just when you think you've got life figured out, boom, something happens that throws a monkey wrench into your plans. Whether it's a, it's a consequence of something we've done or simply a circumstance that's out of our control, what happens? Suddenly plans change. Plans fall through. Sometimes they totally disappear. We've all heard the famous quote, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And it's so true. And often the reason life doesn't go according to plan is that God has other plans 
and his plans supersede ours. James knew all about that. In the New Testament, he writes to Christians scattered across the Roman Empire in James 4, 13 to 16. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Well, plans, plans can be good, but when your whole life is shaped around your plans, we can become so focused on accomplishing them that we lose sight of God. Too often our lives are dedicated to serving our own agendas. The Bible says many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 19.21 The best thing we can do when looking to the future or when life doesn't go according to the plan is to let God be God. Align your life with His plans. Instead of trying to fit God into our plans, we need to fit into His Hudson Taylor had definite convictions about how God's work should be done. We can make our best plans, he said, and try to carry them out in our own strength. Or we can make careful plans and ask God to bless them. Yet the best way of working is to begin with God, to ask for his plans, and to offer ourselves to him to carry out his purposes. Wise words. God has a very well-defined plan in place for your life, just as he did for this confrontation in 2 Kings 6. Was Elisha's servant privy to the entire plan? No. Was Elisha even privy to the plan? No. The difference was that he trusted the great planner. So often we look at, at a part of God's plan out of context, and we question and we doubt and we grumble and we complain, Imagine, imagine if you were looking at just the part of Elisha leading the enemy army right into the heart of Samaria. You'd think this is the craziest plan ever. But you're not looking at the entirety of God's plan. You're taking things out of context. So often that happens in our lives, doesn't it? We look at the pain of a circumstance, the heartache, the loss, and we wonder, how can God allow this? Friend, it's part of a bigger plan that we don't understand. Two missionaries risked imprisonment by smuggling 300 Bibles into a nation with a government hostile to any Christian witness. They were able to evade the authorities and safely deliver the cargo. Unfortunately, dropping off the Bibles created a whole new set of problems. Their van had cleared a low tunnel on the way into the country by a matter of inches, only because the weight of those Bibles compressed the suspension. But after they had delivered them, now without the extra weight, the van would be too tall and they wouldn't be able to escape. Do you think they worried? Or do you think God was able to handle this problem? Well, the missionaries were forced to stop at a checkpoint before reaching the tunnel. Not every car, not every vehicle was ordered to stop, but theirs was. Policemen ordered the pair to transport four very large soldiers who needed a ride. Well, the weight of those soldiers more than made up for the weight of the Bibles, allowing the missionary's van to pass through the tunnel. After dropping off their passengers, 
the missionaries drove their van home where it would be used again in future Bible smuggling operations. In the moment, we can look at just a part of that story and wonder, oh no, why would God allow them to be stopped when they were carrying out his work? Why, why wouldn't we, he allow them to pass through undetected like many other vehicles did? Well, God knew they needed more weight in the van to compress the suspension and allow them to pass through that tunnel. Friend, God has a plan for everything that happens in our lives. Don't get caught questioning and doubting a small sliver of your story. You don't know the whole of it. People around us today are searching and questioning. How can God allow this pandemic? How can he allow disease and death? Friend, we don't know God's plan. We don't know the outcome of this trial. We're looking at, at just the heartache and the fear and the panic of a small sliver of time in God's plan for our world. His job is to plan and carry out. Ours is just to trust the one who is far greater than we are. We place our lives and our times and our communities and our nation and our world in his ever capable hands. He has a plan. He has a plan that's for our best and he will carry us through to its completion. He plans for us and he provides for us. That's his ever faithful, all-knowing providence. Amen? God's presence, God's protection, and God's providence. Three unseen things we must learn to recognize in every circumstance of our lives. Friend, do you find yourself today in the shoes of Elisha's servant? looking out and focusing on the impending doom. He couldn't see God's presence, protection, or providence. He could only see the peril, the problems. He could only see the doom that's coming. Well, as a result, what happens? He's petrified. He's panic-stricken. Maybe you can relate. Well, in this, in this climate of fear and foreboding, it's so easy to get fixed on our crisis. It's easy to give in to panic when our ears are pressed to the bad news and our eyes are locked on the chaos. We need an instead. Instead, we need to learn to look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen. Like Elisha, we need to see God's presence, God's protection, and God's providence. Let's cry out, O Lord, open my eyes and let me see. May the Lord give us comfort, courage, and hope for whatever life may throw in our direction. May we shift our eyes off of our enemies, off of our calamities, off of our storms, and learn to see and focus on the unseen hand that's always present, always protecting, and always guiding our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are in the storm with us. We're not alone. When we don't see you, when, when we don't understand the what's, the why's, the when's of our trials, help us to simply trust you. Help us to take our focus off of the peril that we see and open our eyes to the unseen. Help us see and know your presence with us. Help us recognize and be at peace because of your protection and help us to see and trust your never-failing providence. You've never let us down, Lord. And we know, we know you never will. We love you. 
We thank you that the God of angel armies is by our side. Let us live by faith and help us to always remember that we are more than conquerors through you, the one who loved us and called us by name. Thank you, Father. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.